0: Presented here today for you to enjoy is a special 15-minute preview of this week's Top Rope Nation Extra Patreon-exclusive bonus podcast. A really good discussion I'm sure you would enjoy if you enjoy our typical flagship podcast. And like I said, the only way to hear this full show is by joining the Patreon page. The link is here in the broadcast description. So enjoy this free 15-minute preview. Enjoy. You can't stand the
1: fact that I like to drink a few beers. You stand the fact that I do this every now and then, that I do this, can I do this every Use colorful language. Use colorful language. Stand the fact. You can't stand the
0: fact. You can't stand the fact. You must conform. Defiance will not be tolerated. Conform. You must respect
1: authority. Who the hell do you think you are? You will comply. Who the hell? The hell? The hell? Do you think you are? You must conform. Ladies and gentlemen.
0: This is my only Who hell do you think you are? Vince McMahon might have stacked the cards against Stone Cold Steve Austin by having a little timekeeper. The esteemed Gerald Briscoe. Uh oh. The bell ringer. Hall of Famer. Pat yeah, Patterson. And himself as a special referee. Do you think there's a conspiracy, folks? You must respect authority. McMahon. I
1: know you hate my guts, and I feel the same way about you. Who the hell, the hell, the hell do you think you are? Defiance will be punished. This man just calls my daughter, and then the go. Damn it. You must conform. It's often
0: awesome against the world here. You will comply. Welcome to Mr. McMahon's utopia. This is my arena.
1: And now, WWF over the edge. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Top Rope Nation Extra. It's Kyle. Joining me today is a man making his second ever appearance on Top Rope Nation, his first. A critically acclaimed performance, breaking down stats for the history of the Royal Rumble, came back in January. Uh, I'm sure you remember him, hailing from the city of brotherly love. He's a lot cooler than brother love. Thank you very much. Please welcome back to the show your good friend and mine. Mr. Michael Jenkinson. Michael, how the hell are you? I am fantastic. Wouldn't want to be anyplace else. This is great. All right. So we are here today to discuss a match that you and I have a mutual love for. A top 10 WWF slash E match for me all time. Five stars. It is Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Dude Love Over the Edge 1998. We're coming up. Oh, what would be 24 year anniversary on this match next week? Uh, We're recording on Tuesday, the 24th. Not exactly sure when this podcast will drop yet, but it will be just before that 24 year anniversary. And Michael, uh, to be honest with you, I always thought that I was the high man on this particular match. Imagine me being high on something, but uh, you are on the record as saying, this is your favorite match of all time. So for me, top 10 WWF match of all time. You're putting it right at the apex. We're obviously going to get the specifics as the pod moves along. But what, in a broad sense, puts this at the top for you?
0: To be fair, you know, like, gun to my head, can I tell you that this is a better match necessarily than Ric Flair versus Steamboat at chi Rumble 89, which is my favorite of their series? Or, you know, Bretton Owen at WrestleMania 10? Maybe not, but just as a personal favorite, I— I'm a diehard Mick Foley fan. He's my favorite wrestler of all time. I think Stone Cold Steve Austin is a top five in-ring performer of all time. And, you know, between the story, the work rate, the crowd, which was insane, um, you know, the involvement of all these different particles all coming together, everything just made this match perfect, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, And there's an interesting kind of line of delineation to draw here between best and favorite. I think, is there not, you know, what's yeah, you, your favorite, I, I don't know if this is the exact definition, but to me, when someone asks, what's your favorite, okay, you could just say what you think objectively is the best match of all time. Okay. And you can make a case, you know, I think a lot of people in the case of WWF would say Bret Hart, Steve Austin, WrestleMania 13, because of what it led to. And, the you know, it was the jumping off point for Steve Austin. And outside of that, it's just a tremendous match in general but favorite for me always means something that you prefer more than the masses. And you kind of summed it up. Well, you know, where I'm at with this as well, in the sense that I just have always liked this match. I felt more than most people. And it's a match that's got strong reviews for the record. I think Meltzer gave it four and a half in the observer. Keller gave it four and a quarter. Both called it a match of the year candidate. So it's well regarded by most people. But there was a point a few years ago where I sat and watched this thing, you know, rewatched it. It was like, my God, this is just simply one of the best WWE matches ever.
0: And I agree completely. You know It stands the test of time. I mean, I've watched it three times in the past week, getting ready <laughs> to do this show. And I wasn't bored for one second, any of the three viewings. That is dedication. Uh, it was entertainment, not even dedication, because it never got old to me, you know, and uh I watch a Raw this week, and I can't get through it sometimes, but I can watch this match three times in the span of a week and and not be bored. I might
1: go watch it again tonight. That, that's awesome. You know what? Like the back of your hand, that's good. We're going to break it all down here momentarily just to uh, give people, I don't know, frame a reference. I'll let you know this. I was a senior in high school at the time of this match, Mr. Jenkinson, just ready to graduate. Obviously, we're at the end of May. But I did not watch this show live. I had recalled that and getting prepared for the pod. um, And that kind of struck me because we had watched every, we meeting my group of friends, uh, every 98 pay-per-view up until this point, WWF and WCW over my buddy Matt's house. I've talked about that on the Facebook page, how he had the scrambler, statute of limitations passed so I can out him there. Even Slamboree earlier that month, we'd watched, which was, you know, outside of, Jericho's performance, not a memorable show at all. But yeah, for some reason, this one slipped through the cracks. Uh, when was the first time you watched this pay-per-view, Michael? And where were you in the game of life at this time, in your you know school? Were you in high school, or where were you at? So, I've just figured this out
0: from watching or listening to the show over the years. You and I are the same age. Same. I was a couple weeks away from graduating high school. Same oh. Class of 98. Um, so, my wrestling fandom like many others you know had sort of slipped when i around 92 ish and this is when i was like just getting back into it um i can't i can't tell you exactly when i watched it for the first time but it was within a few months we had like one i had like one friend of a friend who would order every pay-per-view and then Some of us would kind of like share the tape around, but I was not near the top of the list. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I didn't get access to it for like maybe a month or two later, but I was a big Foley fan already. So I kind of was like chomping at the bit to get my hands on this one, even though, you know, maybe it wasn't as hyped up. You know, obviously it's like WrestleMania or Rumble or something like that. But um, so it was probably June or July when I finally got my hands on it.
1: Now, were you brought back into the picture just by WWF or were you watching like WCW at this time as well or like what brought you back to wrestling it it was just more and more friends talking about it which I think is the way that most
0: people you know got into it Uh, you know I was never like I don't think I ever would have said like I hated wrestling I was like embarrassed to admit that I used to be a fan or anything like that but you know just wasn't tuning in regularly and then more and more friends started talking about the NWO and Stone Cold Steve Austin. I was like ah they can't compare to Hogan and Savage um, and then slowly I would start watching a little bit, and I was like, Oh, actually, these guys are really good,
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and it's funny because you know, I went back and I watched a lot of the angles like two months worth of angles on Raw between Austin McMahon and Foley to prepare for this. And it took me back, man. Like, Raw was so different back then. It, like, just watching it yesterday, some of these angles I felt like a teenager, why the show just had a certain energy to it that it does not have. Today. I mean, the signs, everyone's going to note some of them uh, with questionable <laughs> comments, to yeah. say the least, uh, that I think you would be thrown out if you brought some of those signs in today. But uh, questionable just, fan chance too, during the yes, show. Yes, yeah. But w- there was an incredible energy. And oh, man. I want to set the match up. Before we get to the actual match at Over the Edge 98 in Milwaukee in May, uh, as you know, Michael, it was March 29th, 1998, that the Austin era officially began. Stone Cold defeated Shawn Michaels for the WF title in the main event at WrestleMania 14. But it was two weeks prior when we're going to start our journey, because on that Raw 316, how ironic, uh, it was WWF owner Vince McMahon clearly teasing a heel turn. And he raised eyebrows to the WWF audience when he said Austin winning the WWF title would be a, quote, public relations nightmare. So clearly, you know something is going to happen moving forward between Austin and McMahon. They're teasing this tension. Dave Meltzer in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, this quote really struck me. I I, got a chuckle out of this, Michael. Uh, Dave called it, quote, an interview that could have only been conceived by people who spend too much time on the internet and... (laughs) He goes on to say, I guess they figure since everyone knows Austin is winning, they have to make it look like he isn't. He, meaning Meltzer, would go on to say, anyway, for today's dual reality, it was an amazing piece of work. And I would concur with that statement. I don't know if you got a chance to go back and rewatch this promo or you just remember it, but Vince McMahon as a heel, when this first started, what was your kind of reaction to that? You know, it's pretty
0: funny because it seems so ridiculous now, but I did not even know going into all this stuff that Vince was the owner. I mean, I you know, you started hearing people talk about it, I guess, at Survivor Series the year before, but I just still didn't know if that was even just still like a character or not, you know? Okay. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, when he started, like, talking about Austin, it was kind of a step back, like, whoa, okay, this is this is different,
1: you know? And it felt cool, like, okay, I want to see where this is going. What does this mean? Yeah, and it should be pointed out that Vince had played a heel role on television previously. Now, this was down in Memphis. Shout out to Derek Chappelle, Uh, In the summer of 1993, back when the WWF and the USWA had a working arrangement, search McMemphis on YouTube.com if you're interested in seeing that. But very few had seen that in 98. So kind of to your point, there were still a lot of people who were just getting used to the fact that Vince McMahon, the longtime babyface commentator of the company, was in fact the owner of the company. That was something that was not formally recognized, I believe, until '97. There had been always teases and whatnot. Uh, you know, I certainly knew, uh, but you know, not everyone did. And it was very—he very much began at this point playing uh, a character essentially, of the owner of the show. He wasn't just the owner. He was a character owner, too, on TV. So playing a heel role would would be jarring to a lot of people. But, Michael, it really can't be understated how great of a TV performer Vince was during this period. He was not the, you know, mumbling old man that we see now with Fury and Seth Rollins. No doubt about it. He's the greatest heel of all time, right? I mean— yeah, I mean, just his facial reactions and just leaning into it, it was so great. He clearly knew where he was going with this character. And I've said this before. It might have been on. Well, oh, I can't remember who I said it to, but I've said it to somebody at some point. There was a point like in the early aughts. I don't know if it was like 2002 or whatever. It might have been the Ric Flair feud where McMahon just became a caricature on television. And it was just so goofy and so over the top here it was just perfect and it just as i watched him week by week i was just very impressed i mean certainly i remember this but and, he he was tremendous and the one of the best
0: parts about it is that he never did it by undermining the good guy like he at no point did he make austin look bad or i mean of course the character was trying to make austin look bad But everything he did as a heel was just making Austin look even stronger and more rebellious and more badass instead of trying to undercut him, which is the most important thing a heel can do.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And that brings me to my next point. So the week after the night after Austin wins the title, pardon me, this is March 30th. The show opens with Austin and Vince. I wrote about this on the Facebook group yesterday, Michael. I think you saw this, that the respective reactions these guys get to start the show. My God, I was shaking watching this. Uh but Vince notes in this promo after he gets Austin out with his quote mental prowess and Austin's quote physical prowess Austin might become the greatest WWF champion of all time. This is kind of what you were just talking about uh, Michael. And note to modern WWE creative. That is how you put over your new babyface champion, not with this one hit wonder. That was what they infamously would call up Benoit in 2004 I just had watched that match when they did the WrestleMania 20 rematch at Backlash Jerry Lawler just kept calling Benoit a one-hit wonder throughout the match and it was so grating but uh didn't get that here and, and you don't have your audience who believes in the babyface questioning if they deserve that spot remember like Kofi Kingston a couple of years yeah, ago Kofi he Kofi won-
0: was a great example yeah uh, or just the whole Daniel Bryan